Evil prevails when good men do nothing. A friend of mine shared that story with me, that quote, and it's in movies and different places. But evil prevails when good people do nothing. One of the ways that I try to raise my boys is to tell them that part of being a man means that you reject passivity. To reject passivity. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. So I want to wish dads happy Father's Day. I want to encourage us as we look at uh, Ezekiel 22 to find some, some guidance in God's Word because I think Ezekiel 22 is a call to action, a call to action. And we as followers of Jesus, there's some things that we need to do with God's help and live life with Jesus. And so I want to take us through Ezekiel 23. We're just going to walk it verse by verse. Ezekiel chapter 22, I said, I mean, it meant 22 verses 23 through 31. We're just going to walk it through verse by verse and just to see what God wants his people to do. I'm thankful for, for Michael's message last week and, and this, this theme that we are walking through, Ezekiel, this prophet that, let's be honest, most of us haven't spent a lot of time with. Ezekiel's name, do you remember? His name means God strengthens. So God strengthens and could you use some strength today? By all means. And so in this section of Ezekiel, it is oracles of judgment. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear about oracles of judgment? But I think it's truth. I think there's some lessons that we can learn. And so I just want to get us into this chapter, Ezekiel 22. It's really in two halves, and we're looking at the second half, but they really mirror each other. So chapter, the last part of the chapter really is similar to what the first half of the chapter says. And so this is Ezekiel 22, verse 23. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. And so this is the prophet's way to say, okay, God's word is coming, and this is a message for you. And so it's the idea that he's addressing it to Son of man, son of man. And so it's a common phrase for Ezekiel. That's how he's addressed, son of man, listen. So you're going to hear that a lot in Ezekiel. It's also one of the favorite ways that Jesus likes to call himself son of man. And yes, it's part of his humanity, but it's also part of this picture from Daniel 7 where the son of man is going to come and destroy evil. And so it says, again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the land. Does it seem strange that he's like, preach a sermon to the earth, to the dirt? This theme of land is a big theme in the Old Testament because it represents God's promise to his people. Even in Genesis early chapters, it's, he places Adam and Eve where? In a garden, there's a land and there's a promise. You're like, this is going to work out really good if you follow through. And then there's this idea that there's a promised land, that God is going to bring his people and they're going to have a, a joyous time there in the promised land. So there's some options here of, of this land is, is promised, that there's a special covenant of God. And so, son of man, save the land. You are a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. That doesn't sound too good, doesn't it? You go into 1 Kings chapter 8, and he says, if you do good, you're going to get your rain. And if you do bad, I'm going to keep the rains from coming, and your crops will fail. And so sometimes it was representative in the Old Testament. If you didn't have good crops, it was because you had done something bad. 
And so this is the idea. It says, a land has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. And then verse 25. There is a conspiracy of her princes. Some of your translations may say prince. Other of your Bibles, it might say prophets. Uh, there's some little... There's like one letter's difference in, in the word in original language. So some, some translations say prince. Some will say prophet. I'm leaning toward this for prince, but I'm not going to die on this hill today. So if it really is prophet, it's okay. It makes sense that it's prince in this verse because down in verse 28, there's prophets there. But either way, we're just going to say leaders. And so he's going to start, God's going to start telling Ezekiel, just look at these different leaders. Maybe these people will come through. And so there's the princes, this conspiracy of princes. The word conspiracy, we see and hear a lot, don't we? I mean, there's all these conspiracy theories about who knows what, and it just gets people worked up into a frenzy. And this word for conspiracy it just means they're tied up together. And sometimes the word, is, it's a good thing. Like when Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, she tied that scarlet cord out her outside of her window so that when Joshua and the people came into the promised land, they would say, oh, our friend lives here. We will save her. Sometimes this word for tying is in, is in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, tie these commands right here on your forehead. So sometimes it just means tie things together. Other times it means more of a metaphorical way to say, these guys have tied themselves together. They've made an arrangement together. And in this context, let's see if they're doing something good or bad. Conspiracy already kind of makes us think, this doesn't sound good, doesn't it? So let's see. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion devouring its prey. So we have a picture here. Remember when I say when you're reading these prophets and some of this literature that has all these symbols and things, just ask yourself, is this a good symbol or a bad symbol? So roaring lion, lion tearing its prey. Does that sound like something that gives you warm, fuzzy feelings? You're like, oh, that's nice. No, you want to run away from a roaring lion that's tearing its prey. That sounds dangerous, and if you get too close, it might eat you. I should tell you that the boys, they, one of their highlights this week at NYR was they saw a mountain lion or maybe a bobcat. We're not quite sure. Young. Um, but it was early morning. That's kind of cool. Uh, but don't worry. It just ran up the hillside where, we're, where we'll camp next month. So it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. But you get this warm, you're like, okay. Still come to NYR, okay? Even if you've signed up, we got your money. You just need to come. Don't worry about it, okay? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. That piece of canvas will be plenty of protection. No, it'll be five. We, it ran away. We didn't, they did see it later that night, but we didn't see it last week. But okay, so you have this image of a roaring lion devouring its prey. Peter says, be on your guard. The devil is like a roaring lion, lion seek, seeking someone to devour. And so we have this image of these princes, these royal nobles, and they're like roaring lions, lions devouring its prey. And it says they devour people. They take treasures and precious things and make many widows within her. How are they making widows? By killing her, their husbands. So do you want those nobles ruling over you? Roaring lions, devouring prey, killing husbands, taking whatever they want? These princes, these royal nobles, fail to respect life. The story goes on. Well, maybe there's someone else that could help. The priests, 
The priests are God's people. They are God's leaders. They're the teachers. They represent God to the people and the people to God. Surely the priests will come through and do the right thing. Verse 26, the priests do violence to my law. They profane my my holy things. They do not distinguish between holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to keeping of my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. This word for profane can also be mean, mean pierce. They pierce my name. They pierce my laws. A form of this word is also used in Isaiah, another prophet, chapter 53, verse 5. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. These priests fail to respect God and his word. They say there's really no difference between the holy things and the the common things or the clean and the unclean. Those were those Levitical laws of the Old Testament. There were certain foods that they did and did not eat. And part of it was a healthy thing. Part of it was to separate themselves from the nations around them who were not honoring God and not honoring life. It almost reminds me of sometimes there's Christians, they wear the name Jesus, but they look and act no different than anyone else. As followers of Jesus, we should act differently. We should talk differently. doesn't mean we've got to be weird or anything, but we, we hold to some values that may not be popular, and we treat people with respect and dignity, and we go the extra mile, Jesus says. And, but these priests, these holy leaders were not doing that. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. You go down to verse 27. If it's not the princes, if it's not the priests, maybe there's some elected officials. That's probably the best understanding of this next group. Uh, Those who aren't the, the nobility by birth, but they're the leaders. They've been recognized, maybe appointed, some of these governing officials. Verse 27, her officials within her are like wolves tearing its prey, much like the, the nobles, the princes, like the roaring lions. These officials are like wolves. Again, does this make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, or does that sound scary? You want to run away from the wolves too. Stay away from lions, stay away from wolves. So they're like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood. They kill people to make unjust gain. These leaders fail to respect justice. They're seeking after their own will, and they're killing people again. And this was happening in Ezekiel's day. Do we have any stories like that floating around today? Yeah, it's been in every generation that people do bad things. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. Well, we can't count on the princes. We can't count on the priests. We can't count on the leaders. There's going to be another group, the preachers. Surely we can count on the preachers, right? I mean, God's spokesmen, God's God's people that are going to communicate the truth. The prophets, surely the prophets. We can't count on the governments or some of these other holy people, but surely we can count on the prophets. And in verse 28, it says, Her prophets whitewash these deeds. So the deeds of killing people and ripping people off and, and you know, making unjust gains, they just whitewash that. I think of Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, whitewashing the fence. I think also of the words of Jesus. 
Matthew 23, he talks to the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead people's bones. So these prophets are whitewashing these evil deeds by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The prophets fail to respect the truth. In the Old Testament, the punishment for a false prophet was you killed them. And so I want to encourage all of us to keep our eyes open for truth. And whenever someone, especially even me, yours truly, says something, it better square with what this book says. And so if you have any concerns that you're not sure if this is a true thing, check with Scripture. Be like those noble Bereans who checked out their preacher to make sure they were doing what's right, saying the right things. So I'm, I'm human. I can make mistakes. I'm thankful that there's been a handful of times where people came up to me later on and said, hey, you said something, and I'm not so sure that's right. But they gave me the benefit to, to explain myself. And I'm like, yeah, I've, if I said that, that's not what I meant. And I was kind of able to provide some context. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm with you now. But they at least took me and said, hey, I want to talk to you because what I heard is not what makes sense to me. And so we had that conversation, and it was helpful. So I want to encourage you. There's a lot of stuff out there, folks. And as Christians, we need to be discerning for the truth, and the truth is in the Word of God. So it's not the princes, the priests, the officials, the prophets. And we aren't Americans, right? We, the people, and we kind of are pretty quick to to point fingers at government and point fingers at leaders, and and rightfully so. There's some, some poor leaders out there, but the people will come through, right? The people will do the right thing. You go down to verse 29. The people of the land, they practice extortion. They commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy. They mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I don't think the people are doing it either, are they? The people fail to respect the weak. They fail to respect those who are poor the immigrant, those who are in need. So we're in trouble here. Leaders aren't doing it. Church isn't doing it. The people aren't following God. Good people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Evil prevails when good men do nothing. And then we come to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And if you've read any of Ezekiel, or if you know anything about Ezekiel, this might be one verse that might stand out with you. There's about four verses when I think of Ezekiel that I kind of remember quickly, and verse 30 is one of them. I can still remember being in high school at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and one of my classmates, Michael Slaughter, gave the devotion that Friday morning in the biology classroom at Seneca High School. And he shared this verse, Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I looked for someone who would build up the wall, stand in the gap, so I wouldn't have to destroy this city. I looked around. I looked at the princes, and I looked at the priests, and I looked at the officials, I looked at the prophets, I looked at the people, I found no one. Ezekiel is a thousand miles from home. 
And about 10 years later, 10 years from when, uh, this time, there's, or maybe it's happening already, but in this window of time, Babylon's going to come and they're going to tear down the walls of Jerusalem. And they're going to set the city on fire. And I looked for someone and there was no one around. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. So the result, verse 31, so I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with fiery anger. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and set Jerusalem on fire, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. This section begins with a drought and ends with the city in flames. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Evil prevails when good people do nothing. Our men's group that meets on Wednesday mornings, Mug, Men Uplifting the Gospel, we've been reading this book called The Men We Need. So guys, fellas, be a good book to read. Uh, it's called God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsement, and Any Man Willing to Show Up. It's a good read. I encourage you to check it out, fellas. Uh, it's helpful. One of those chapters... He uh, tells uh, about a commercial. I don't know if you see I don't remember. Maybe I've seen it. I don't know. But it's a, a Gillette commercial. You know, they make the razors and the shaving. I, found, I lost mine this week. Um, but Gillette. And it was about three years ago, 2019. And I want, we're going to, if technology cooperates, I want to play this. I, I feel weird playing a commercial at church. I just do. Um, but I want you to look for the last couple sentences that you hear in this commercial about the effect uh, that our actions as men have on the boys of today. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it... We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Young men. And small. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow.
feel weird crying over a shaving cream commercial. <laughs> but the boys of today will be the men of tomorrow. And I'm calling us men to step up and to lead our families in the ways of Jesus. I'm calling us to take action. I'm calling us to honor God. And not just the men, but everyone in this room. Brant Hansen in that book says, we men are at our best when we are keepers of the garden. This means we are protectors and defenders and cultivators. We are at our best when we champion the weak, when we are at our best, when we are at our best when we use whatever strength we have to safeguard the innocent and provide a place for people to strive. This is the job Adam was given, keeper of the garden. And so God is calling the people in Ezekiel saying that this land is in trouble and much like that first Adam who was passive and didn't step in to protect his wife from that sneaky serpent, God is wanting all of us men to take action. I came here today to say this, God still looks for those who will stand in the gap for those in need. God still looks for those who will stand in the gap for those who are in need. God looked at the princes and they couldn't do it. The priests weren't doing it. The officials were not doing it. The prophets were not doing it. The people of the land were not looking and standing in the gap for those who are in need. But thankfully, you read your Bible long enough and there would be someone who would stand in the gap. There would be someone who would come to the rescue and the Apostle Paul writes about it in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to invite you to your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. There is, he's going to talk about from an older man to a younger man, Timothy. Here's what this is looking like. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Jesus succeeded where the princes and the priests and the leaders and the prophets and the people failed. Jesus stood in the gap to rescue us from God's wrath. Jesus showed us how to reject passivity and to embrace the will of the Father through a series of faithful choices and sacrifices. James Clear shares that a profitable business is never a choice. It is a series of choices. A fit body is never a choice. It is a series of of choices, and a strong relationship is never a choice. It is a series of choices. Evil prevails when good people do nothing, so we need to start making some choices. In 1784, there between 84 and 85, William Wilberforce became a Christian. He lived in Britain at the time. And he grew up under the preaching of one John Newton. You may not recognize that name, but you may recognize one of the songs that John Newton wrote. John was a former slave trader, and he wrote the words to Amazing Grace. 
how'd you like to be at church that day? And, and Pastor Newton saying, we're going to try this song. I don't know if it's going to catch on or not. It's called Amazing Grace. So that was his preacher, William Wilberforce's preacher, when he was a child. As a young man, he becomes a Christian. And then he becomes a member of British Parliament. And one of his goals, his primary life goal, was to abolish slavery. And he was going to start by abolishing the slave trade in the West Indies. And in 1787, he starts making very eloquent speeches. It sounded like he could really speak. And he even had some political allies and some you know, people in authority that were with him. And the people were on his side. And he, he made a motion in, in, in Parliament to, to, uh, to abolish the slave trade. But in 1791, that motion was defeated almost two to one. 163, no, we don't want to do this. Only 88 were in favor of his abolition. He spent the next 15 years with little progress. Then in 1807, the House of Commons voted to abolish the slave uh, trade by a vote of 283 to abolish. Only 16 were against it. But it took 15 years, much with very little progress. It would take another 26 years before William Wilberforce would live long enough to see the abolition of slavery throughout the British uh, Empire. Three days later, he died. But he made it his life goal to do something. He wanted to stand up against the evil of slavery. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. But as a result of his faithfulness and his Christ-centered beliefs and his series of choices, even in the midst of defeat after defeat, slavery was abolished in in Britain. So what's your first choice this week? What is the first choice that you can make in a series of choices to champion the weak? 